hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. I'm Kev, your host as always. Uh, before I introduce who I've got with me, uh, I should make the point that we are all following the social distancing guidelines in place by the government. So if we do have one or two technological issues, we are recording, for, we're all in our own houses. Uh, so we'll try and minimise that and everything else. But if there are one or two gremlins, please do bear with us. Uh, as we're all at home, I've brought the whole squad out this uh, month. I've got James, Tony, and we've got Simon Pitts along with us. Gents, how are we? Hope you're all keeping safe and well. Yeah, good, yeah. thanks. Cheers, good, Kev. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, good, thanks, Kev. Excellent. Uh, we will progress uh, throughout the podcast with all four of us in place. But before we start, I think it's important, and I'm sure I speak for uh, all four of us, that um, the NHS people, the key workers and everyone uh, that's currently serving our country is doing a fantastic job. And we just want to make that point and um, thank you for all your efforts. And if you are a Luton fan who is uh, involved in all amongst that, and indeed if you're not and you're listening in, Thank you very, very much for everything that you're doing. Hey, 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 yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, let's get started then. Um, I think it's fair to say that football is largely irrelevant given the, the troubled times that the, uh, that the world is going through, not just this country. But we are a football podcast. We are here to talk football, so let's do that. James, I'll start with you. Um the future of football, I'll start with you because you were, you've been in a conference call with Gary Sweet a couple of three weeks ago as part of the media. And he kind of gave a lot of sort of detail out and things about how it could restart, when it could restart, what happens if it doesn't restart. How do you kind of see the future of football? Obviously, it came out a couple of days ago that the EFL have sent a letter to all the clubs saying that players are now unable to train until May the 16th. So we're obviously looking at maybe a June restart at the earliest. But what's your thoughts on the on the whole landscape at the minute? I think that football has to finish what it started. Um, I'm not in favour of any of these people, and I see it a lot actually on social media saying just got to cancel it and void it because I think the integrity of the competition, what you've built towards now, wherever you are in the league, um, is you know, 30-odd games in, you're, you know, you're on the closing straight of this competition. So I'm of the view that it needs to finish and obviously it needs to finish at a time when it's safe to do so. But um, whenever that is, I think it, it needs to finish. And then I think football needs to think differently about how it moves forward. It can't just think about the next season. I don't think it can think um, let's avoid this one and make sure the next one starts. I think that's looking at it um, topsy-turvy, if you like. I, I think that you've got to finish the season you've started and then think about what the next steps are. Now, whether that be because they've had such a long break now that this is counted as, let's say, summer break and they have a short break in between finishing this season and going into next season, maybe. Um, you've also got the World Cup next year which is not in its usual summer place so it could still knock on into summer and not have an effect there it may take a couple of years to to level itself out or there may have to be some um, sacrifices or in innovative thinking I'm thinking the, the cup competitions which most of the top teams don't seem to care about maybe they just have to go by the wayside for a, a season so you can play out 
a, a league campaign and get things back on track that way. But I think initially we've just got to get to a place where it's safe enough to play these games and get the season finished because I think there's too many ramifications that can happen in the courtroom probably largely if it doesn't finish and the vibe I'm sort of picking up is really that the teams are down the teams down the bottom they're quite happy for it to avoid and finish but then you've got the teams at the top who really have a lot of um, money and ambition riding on everything to do with this so uh, I think Gary Sweet came out and said he wants the season to finish and I was of the same view even before he said it so um, yeah I, I I think that yeah, June probably would be the earliest, but I would be surprised even if if it does start then. I think we're probably looking a bit later. Um, but you're talking nine games, so if, if you have to squash them in in the way that um, the FA chairman said the other day, which would probably equate to about having to play twice a week uh, for a month and a half, then maybe uh, everyone's going to be in the same boat, aren't they? So it's not going to be it's not going to affect one more um, adversely than the other. So uh, I think that. The, the world has to change when we come out of this. Everybody's been saying that and it'd be nice if we see that and football is part of the world so football has to change. Um, so it has to deal with the fallout after it but get this season finished. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Tony, we're hypothesising to an extent here because nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. I think the last month has kind of highlighted that already. What's your views on how the season should end? Are you an advocate for finishing the season? Are you an advocate for avoiding it? I guess this is... Almost a sort of two-tall question. Do you like Liverpool or don't you like Liverpool? And, um, you know... That... I must admit, I, I, I do find uh, um, some wry amusement in what's happening with <laughs> Liverpool. They've, they've waited so long to uh, win the Premiership and then something um, goes wrong. But um, I, I'm i not particularly that worried about the Premiership. Obviously, if Luton were there, I, I would be. But... Um, now, I, I, we've heard so much in, in the past about uh, the word integrity of the game. Um, I, I think, I, to a certain extent, I agree with James in, in the fact that I think the season has to be completed. Uh, in terms of it being the same for everybody, um, in theory, yes, but I, I, I believe that it will favour the clubs that have got bigger squads. Um, so you could argue there could be an unfair advantage then with playing so many games in such a sh- short period of time. Um, I, I, I think the way things are at the moment, something drastic has to be done. Um, and if that turns out to be the best way of, of dealing with it, then so be it. Uh, on the other side, um, I mean, we, a lot of people have been saying for so long that the, the, the game is going to implode. And um, despite all the money uh, that's, you know, sloshing around in the Premier League, it does show you that um, there is a certain amount of vulnerability there. And and it also is highlighting um, the gap between the haves and the have-nots. But also you've got the the other side of it in how is it going to affect players' contracts and players being on loan as well. You've got a total can of worms there. And I think um, that the football authorities do have to play this uh, very, very carefully because they are leaving themselves open to um, a shitstorm of legal action. 
there's a very real possibility of a lot of clubs going under and going out of business. Um, so I, I, I can't see a situation coming out of this where they're going to please everybody. You know, that that's very hard for them to do. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, yeah, we care about the game and what happens. But to be honest with you, there are far, far more important things going on than actually which league a football team will end up in for um, the season season following on from the end of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the point that um, Gary Sweet was making um, right from the outset. Simon, what's your views on the season? I mean, obviously, it's easy for football fans uh, in their positions, the, the relevant clubs, to say, void it, we must play it, etc., etc. But actually... There's also a kind of duty to the players. Luton's players, let's say, for because we're a Luton podcast, have played 37 games this season. Now, those efforts will just go completely down the kibosh if the season's voided. And in a way, that's unfair on them. And also, I get the impression that as footballers, they would want to stay up of their own accord rather than um, just, you know, have it handed to them. Footballers are competitive people. They want to they want to battle it out, and and if they're good enough to stay up, they will stay up. Indeed, Kevin. Yeah, I think there's two arguments that I'd like to touch on. One that Tony just about mentioned, um, but didn't go into detail. But um, for me, there's two key elements in all of this. First of all, as Tony said, you're not going to please everybody. Whatever the outcome is, you are not going to please everybody. There is no right solution to this, given the circumstances that we're in. However, for me, there's two key um, issues in all of this. Um, the, the main one being that players' contracts run out on June the 30th. Now, you could say, well, that's fine. Let's extend everybody and we'll make it clear that, you know, UEFA, FIFA, whoever make the decision, say contracts will continue until such time that the season's finished, if that's the decision. For me, there's two big issues there. One is a player may not want their contract to be extended. A player at any club could turn around and say, no, I'm sorry, I don't wish to stay with you beyond June the 30th. Therefore, I'm not going to play in your remaining games. I've got a move lined up, big money move. You know, I can't risk injury, etc. Secondly, clubs are put in the predicament that they are then paying for players that they may not wish to play, pay for beyond June the 30th deadline. You know, there are squad players at Luton Town that we know won't be recontracted for next, potentially won't be recontracted for next season. Um, you know, that are out of contract this year. And therefore, why should the club have to have that added financial burden of paying their wages? And, it, and every club, I'm not just talking Luton here, pay, pay the wages for those extra few weeks. Secondly, for me, is the knock-on effect that I totally understand the points that Tony and James have put across. They're good friends of mine, and I hope that my opinion being slightly different to theirs won't, won't affect this. But from my point of view, that the knock-on effect longer term um, James mentioned the, the World Cup. It's actually the European Championships, isn't it, next year now. Um, the World Cups in 2022 is uh, uh, potentially over um, the winter break. I just can't see how the knock-on effect of finishing this season, um, albeit potentially behind closed doors, which is another issue I'll come into in a moment, how that can then not impact the next several years because of international competitions that are lined up as well um it needs everybody across europe to be in line in effect with this decision 
Uh, we're hearing today when we're recording this podcast, the votes coming in from Scotland as to what they're going to do. I think, is it the Belgian league or one of the leagues has already confirmed that they've stopped and therefore they've announced the champions. Um, so it is difficult. Every league, I mean, the lower levels have already said their season's wiped out. For me personally, in the UK, once decisions start to be made, it's got to be made across the board. You can't say at this level, it's this decision. At that level, it's this that decision. So, as I said earlier, you can't please everybody. But for me, the big factors are, I also don't believe that it is fair to finish the season, play the nine matches, all behind closed doors. Although that's an option, I just don't feel that that is the right way to finish the season, just to tick a box and say, we've played the nine games, that's it, that's done. Um, you know, we come back to Tony's big point, and this is the key factor, whatever happens, it's not going to please everybody. Um, what pleases the majority? What is the least impact? What has the least knock-on effect? And for the um, sustainability for the vast majority of clubs, what is the decision that will mean they can start to move forward and, and go on? At the end of the day, the EFL and the Premier League rules stated that a season had to finish by the 1st of June under whatever circumstances exist in the world. They have extended that knowing that they're now that's not going to now happen. Now, if they'd have made the decision, sorry, we're not going to extend that rule, there could have been no legal action. Because at the end of the day, they are the rules that all the clubs signed up to at the beginning of the season. The season finishes on the 1st of June. So, you know, that's something that they decided that they would announce and say, the season, we're, we're breaking that law, we've made that decision. Um, you know, that's no longer going to be a factor. But for me, there's, there's too many issues longer term. You know, if we're saying that they're not going to go back to training until May, they're not playing until June, they're going into July, into August, who knows? We don't know what's happening. I mean, sadly, in the world, as we've said all along, football is not the big priority at the moment. Um, and, you know, we've all got to stay at home. We've all, that is the biggest thing at the moment. There's still people going out. There's still people dying, sadly. And until that slows down and gets back, we have not got reality to play in. Personally, I can't even see them being back to proper training and, and doing everything to be able to be doing that in May, the way things are at the moment. So... You know, there's there's a lot more things outside of the football world that need to to be improved um, before we can even consider the season restarting. For me personally, the longer this goes on as it is due to, for me, the season has to be null and void at that point. Um, and you, you focus on 2021 and you focus on the clubs knowing the situation because the longer this goes on, the harder it is. And for the players, you know, there's players out of contract. They need to know what's going on as there is across the world with people working, not knowing what's going on for them personally. But, you know, let's get through this. There will be football at the end of it, hopefully. But in answer to the question, for me, I'm the opposite to James and Tony. I think the decisions need to be made soon. And the realisation needs to be that, unfortunately, the season perhaps needs to be reviewed. What I don't want is the current placings being viewed as that's how you finish the season. <laughs> um, let's null and void it and not count. No, that, that's a fair enough um, argument. And, and it's, it's actually the one that I share um, with you. I've got to be honest. I don't see how we're going to be in a position to um, finish this. But James, one thing um, Simon mentioned in there, which looks like the way football is going to restart, if indeed and when it does restart, is behind closed doors. So I want to ask you, A, is that realistic? Bearing in mind that 
once we're over the coronavirus, there are still going to be other sort of backdated health issues that the NHS are going to have to deal with. And each football match is still going to have to take uh, medical people away from the front line in order to play it, even without crowds and things. If someone breaks their leg, they're going to need treatment, etc., etc. Is is behind closed doors realistic? And is it how you would want football to finish this season? Uh, it's not really how I want football to finish, but I think it's probably uh, the way that um, the messages that are coming out of these EFL and FA meetings, that's that's the way I think it's going. And that's um, probably what I think you'll see. I think, um, and I agree. Let's, yeah, let, me just, let me just come in on that just before you make um, your final point. I guess we now need to appreciate then that if we're going to finish these games behind closed doors, football is almost pandering itself to the TV companies, isn't it? And it's, it's, it's terrible you know, it, that the game has got itself into that state. And as you mentioned earlier, when football and the world has to change, that's got to be one thing that must change, surely. Can I just add to that as well? Sorry, before you answer, James, the, the integrity of the competition was something you touched on as well. Surely playing games behind closed doors is against the integrity of the competition because it's given unfair advantages to certain teams. Well, I mean, there's unfair advantages in football all the time. And, you know, Tony mentioned um, that it would favour teams with big squads. Well, football does anyway. Mm. Uh, You know, your leads that can afford a massive squad and strength and depth are always going to fare better nine times out of ten than than your Lutons that can't. I think in terms of the, the behind closed doors stuff, I think you probably, the way I look at it as well is that people are indoors with absolutely nothing to do. And this could, that could really lift people's spirits. Yeah, you won't be able to go to the game and be at the game, but if it's on TV, then, then you know, we're all sat around here talking about football. That hasn't happened for a month. And I think we could all agree that, yeah, we want everybody to be safe, uh, and do the right thing but we'd love to see some football as well and the sort of uh, the, the boost to people's morale that that could bring by seeing some football and they might have to and I think they'd probably have to be a bit more innovative about the way they do it and um, somehow all the games are screened and if there's any revenue perhaps all that revenue the TV companies you know I, I know I, I realise I'm um, being quite optimistic here but maybe the TV companies give that to the clubs that are struggling and that's a revenue stream for them, perhaps. But uh, uh, I, I, I kind of think that that would be a, a good thing because I don't think that this is going to end quickly. And I think we're all going to be stuck indoors for quite some time, I'm sorry to say. Uh, and <clears throat> and, if, you, and if, if, that's, if that's a good situation for some, it won't be a good situation for others. And, and football is about that uh, thing at the end of the week where you can forget your life and forget your week and forget how things are going and just get into the football. And uh, We'll see every every other summer when an international tournament comes around how the country is lifted by that. And I know this probably won't be the same because it would be um, you know 71 different teams playing rather than everyone getting behind England. But when things are desperate, um, maybe that is a good thing that they can screen that many games. And if they're going to squeeze them into 56 days, as the FA chairman suggested, then there's going to be an awful lot of football that can be screened and played. 
And I don't know if I don't know if uh, you you don't agree with me, but I think the TV companies at the minute, not just on football, um, really haven't stepped up to the plate because this is an unprecedented situation, and they're just carrying on with their normal schedules and not realizing the people at home and they need stuff to do. Um, so that could be a, a good thing for them to 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 roll out and show some goodwill. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, obviously, uh, I think ITV has said they're replaying the whole of Euro 96, which was a fantastic summer um, in May. But, you know, like you say, James, this is April. We were recording this on Good Friday, April the 10th. You know, there's another another 21 days between um, now and then. Get something on now. Um, Tony, James just made... Just before you move on, when I mentioned that the world would have to change and and, um, there might be knock-on for a couple of seasons, I was also... Uh, adding Euro 2020 or 2021 as it will be, I was adding that into the cup scenario where maybe we just have to scrap it. I mean, international tournaments are very nice when they come along, but they're just a stopgap, aren't they, for for, um, domestic football, which is everybody's bread and butter. That's what they really want. Which is fair enough. Um, Tony, James has just made the point for um, Behind Closed Doors. I won't ask you if you want to see football finish that way, but is the argument against it what we saw in France, where a load of people turn up to the games, completely wiping out any social distancing or isolation rules that will still be in place, and um, putting us two steps back rather than one step forward. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I think people will turn up, um, you know, uh, uh, hoping to be be able to get in. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can see exactly what you're saying there Kev that that's what will happen um I think the only way around that is to perhaps make the games available on a platform free to view you know those of us who've got iFollow and can listen to Simon's dulcet tones on there um watch the games on there but I think you know that's the only way really forward that could perhaps stop people um gathering or you know beam them back whatever I, I i think that's the only way they can do it and the one thing that we've not actually me, touched on yet simon that we probably should have done because it was actually the thing that stopped football in the first place is players getting the coronavirus themselves mm. you know that could well still go on well into june obviously Mikel arteta got it and um once that happened football stopped crazily football was going to continue until it came out that he did get it so if a player gets coronavirus then presumably his whole team are going to be have forced into self-isolation if indeed they're back in training when he gets it it's just going to put yet another spanner into an already difficult work yeah exactly if 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 and i'm saying this as an if if the plan was they go back to training and they um they play the games behind closed doors or do whatever yeah, it needs one player at one club to get coronavirus and we're straight back to square one because they've all got to then self-isolate and then stay away and then they can't play the games and the knock-on effect is we cannot, personally, as I said earlier, we cannot be looking at starting in any form until the restrictions and everything are lifted and you're back to the point where it is safe and practical to do so. And to me, if you've got to the point where there's what, 22 men plus management plus officials around a football pitch in close proximity, not being able to keep the two metres. That is a long way off 
That is a long, long way off. And the knock-on effect, as we said, yeah, fans will turn up, whether it's, and I agree with Tony, you know, yes, there is the potential, and I think the TV companies are already saying this, that they're looking at making it free to view. That won't stop people going outside the ground to be there. It, it then adds to the resources for policing and everything else and stewards. And it, to me, it, it doesn't seem to be a practical solution at this moment in time. At this moment in time, there is no solution. You know, it's, they should be, they are discussing it and they're reviewing options, but we are a long way off from being anywhere near being able to play a game of football, whether it's behind closed doors or whether we're all able to be there to support it. But for me, it just isn't the way to end the season. You know, um, people's safety come first before everything. And if you look at it since the start of the year, we've lost um, a few good Hatters fans um, for one reason or another. And none of us want that figure added to, needlessly. You know, so uh, 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 the way it is, as I said earlier, I I think uh, football at the moment, comes well down the grand scheme of things. We were four or five months off from when it first started with them, and they're now only being allowed to travel and be outdoors and mix again. So you take that from February, March time for us, you're not looking until June, July for potentially things being back to normal. No, this is the thing, isn't it? And, um, you know, in a way, really, I'm not sure what favours football is doing kind of giving out all these dates which you know even common sense says that we're going to have to um, keep on moving James I'll come back to you we're all talking about football in the future will there be clubs left to play football in the future there's been two or three strong arguments that people kind of listen to and uh, Gary Sweet made it to you as I said uh, Greg Clark has also mentioned it, and I've seen a couple of other chairmen think it was Burnley in the Premier League. They reckon they're losing 50 million quid or something like that, which is a significant amount of money for them. But people write it off as blase, our oh, football will be fine, absolutely, it will go ahead, no problem. But is that the case? Will football be fine? Will football be able to resume as we know it right now? No. Simple answer, Kev. Um, the world's not going to be the same after this, so football won't be the same. There won't be, I'm of the view as well as Gary, that there won't be 71 clubs that, that, that come back to, to play from this. There's, we, as we already know, and we've spoken about on the podcast before, the financial implications of football anyway, you know, take out coronavirus, it's just on a knife edge anyway. There's, there's clubs losing money hand over fist, and most of them, most of them in the championship. Um, and Luton are one of the teams that are running their football club prudently um i I mean there's an argument to say that the clubs that do that they're the ones that are going to come out of this the strongest perhaps but it depends how long it goes and it depends how long those clubs can um cope with those losses while nothing's coming in which is kind of uh, another reason why i say the games behind closed doors um and televising them is uh is, is one possible option that I'd like to see them explore. Um, and when I say televising, I say, I, I mean terrestrial television, not Sky. Everybody has to have this. So everybody can have the benefit of it and, and, uh, and help them lift it. And, and however they work that revenue model um, of, of money coming in, whether it's, you know, adverts at half time or I don't know, whatever. I'm not, an, I'm not a money man. 
Um, but I'm sure there's innovative solutions that you can come up with that helps these clubs get some money that they're missing out on match day revenue. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's going to be one of these that whenever football does start, it's going to be a whole different landscape and a different a different look to it and uh, it's sad to see and I don't want it to happen but um, you know we were already talking about this without pandemics that the clubs were going to go to the wall because they're not running themselves properly and maybe it's after after this it's time for football to have a bloody good look at itself and think that they need to start doing things differently. Yeah, I don't think it's going to have too much choice in that regard, um, Tony. I'll come on to you because football has not really helped itself in the last week or two, has it? You've got big football clubs furloughing their staff. Okay, fair play to Liverpool. They did a U-turn on it. But Norwich City are one that furloughed their non-footballing staff. And then I see on their Twitter feed this afternoon that they've signed a player from Luxembourg for X amount of million pounds. I mean, that can't be right. No, no. It, it... In, in fact, I, I think it's disgraceful um, expecting uh, the taxpayer to fund them when they've got plenty of money. The, the, the amount of money they're playing their players and the amount of money that the Premier League has got in reserve as well. Um, I, I think they're not doing themselves any favours. And, and I look at it and think, what were they thinking? Surely their own PR people... Would have uh, would have been advising them not to do this, you know. Um, it's very easy to knock um, to knock people, um, but without giving them ammunition to do it. I mean, I, I I don't you know I don't blame the players in all of this because you know anybody in their position would want as much money as possible when when you. You know, whatever job you're doing. Um, but, you know, we all know for a long, long time that the, 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 the money in the sport at the top level is absolutely excessive. And then when you put that in conjunction with the ticket prices as well, um, I think the whole thing stinks. You know, and, and, and I, I touched on it earlier. I think, I think everybody, a lot of people are, are all hoping that the house of cards will come crashing down now i feel sorry for supporters because if clubs go to the wall you know these supporters are going to lose their clubs luton we're perhaps in a more fortunate position in the 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 people that we've got in charge and who own the club um are, are, are sensible and 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 they've done it within the club's means so i i i I think that we'll come out of this all right, although it will be touch and go. But again, I I agree. I, I can see a lot of clubs going to the wall. And, you know, you look at it, football, it, it it's its own fault. It's its own worst enemy. You know, and, and instead of trying to work with people and in a lot of cases listen to what the fans say and listen to what the fan wants, they don't do it. I think football's got to be the only industry I know of that doesn't take, pay any attention to its customers, what its customers want and what the customers need. So um, I, I, I think the whole 
I was going to say industry. I mean, that, that's one of the things I hate is football being described as an industry and the game being described as a product. I've always hated that. But I can't see the game coming out of this too well at all. And, and I think um, the clubs have got to look at themselves seriously. They've got to have a real hard think about uh, the type of money they're playing to players. They've got to think about how they're going to keep their fans on side, at the taxpayers on side. And uh, I, I, I think there's got to be some sort of check on agents and the role they play in the game as well. Yeah, I was just about to say, if there is one good thing to come out of all of this from a footballing point of view, it may be that there's no money to pay agents, in which case the money that is in football stays in football. Oh, my heart bleeds for them, Kev. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Simon, I'll just come back to you because um, some people who do deserve credit out of all of this are the footballers themselves. Uh, we've heard this week the Premier League players have taken it amongst themselves to raise a significant or donate, sorry, a significant amount of money to NHS charities, and I'm sure it will only be a matter of time before the football league players follow suit in that. Um, they are good people, aren't they? You you interview them quite regularly these are down-to-earth folk who might be getting paid more than what they should in fans opinions but they're well aware of that and they do do good things not just in this situation but looking at Luton players they do an awful lot around the community as well they certainly do Kevin yeah and it's I mean I think it was a bit unfair that footballers were picked out of uh, you know those that should be contributing in some way to help with everything because there is also businessmen there's also uh, companies out there that uh, are paying equally to some of their staff and you know footballers were picked on because there's a big number of them it's high high profile and it's an easy target um the fact they have all come together and um, put together the money and the funding and you know a lot of them are promoting it on social media it's fantastic of course it is and every penny from no matter whether you're a footballer giving thousands or you know a usual normal human being earning your salary that you're living on giving and donating as well every, every penny helps uh, to, to get through this um, and going back to the point about the furloughing yeah I totally agreement that you know clubs shouldn't be doing it for the non-playing staff and then treating football as different but football as Tony touched on as an industry and as a, a business seems to have its own set of rules when it comes to these things you know how any other business out there in the world furloughs everybody or nobody or depending on their business needs there is no way football clubs can say business needs dictate we have to continue paying our players but actually we can furlough all of the non-playing staff you know and it just rubs it in as you said there Norwich I hadn't realized that Norwich buying a player but furloughing I mean that just that needs to be looked at because the furlough scheme there is to support companies that need to use it to protect the jobs of individuals like you and me and everybody else there that is earning a living and, and, and living on what they're being paid. Um, you know, be, and, and I really do feel for those that are going through difficult circumstances at the moment, aside from football, um, because there is so much going on in the world at the moment. And, you know, it's football has got to do its part to make it look like being part of the world and not having its own set of rules and regulations, as we've seen with things like taxes and HMRC being involved in the past. You know, football clubs seem to get a different set of rules to, to normal businesses and it's just not right. 
But, you know, you're right. Everybody that's doing the players, individuals are all trying to do their bit. And, you know, they are promoting that they are, are positively um, being active in what they've done. And all credit to those players that have, have set up and ex-players as well. I've seen, you know, Joe Cole the other day interviewed on the telly that he started uh, a group to, to raise money for the NHS and that. And a fair play to them all. Everybody, footballers, ex-footballers and anybody else that's supporting, fair play to you all. Well done. Absolutely, yeah. Insensitive of Norwich beyond the belief to announce that signing today of all days uh, as well. Tony, we'll finish this section with you. Obviously, cash is going to be at a premium for every football club, but we're only really interested in our one. What can we do to help? The club have put out a request, haven't they? If you can possibly renew your season ticket now, please do so. And we would urge that message, wouldn't we? Yeah, definitely. I'd echo that. Um you know, if you if you're going to get season ticket anyway, why not do it as soon as possible, and if possible, upgrade it to a diamond as well. You know, if you can. I know uh, a few people have said to me that they've already purchased tickets for games um, that unfortunately have have, have been postponed um, or cancelled altogether, and and quite a few people are turning around and saying, well, you know, I've paid for the tickets, I don't want a refund. They're, they're prepared to help their football club that way. Now, if, if people are in a position and they can afford to do that, I think they should be encouraged to do that. Um, but we don't want people um, trying to do that. If they genuinely short of cash and they need the cashier, sure, have that. Um, as, as a trust, we're trying to look at ways and, and means of trying to help the football club as well. Um, and we're always open to ideas. We'll listen. If people can think of anything, have got ideas, you know, drop us a line. Um, you know, we'll always listen and see if we can take it forward. Um, it's a hard time. Nobody wants to see our football club suffer. Um, I know that uh, certain people at the club um, in higher positions, they've taken wage cuts to help. Um and I think that's all we can do. But then, you know, still keep going online. The, the club are, are, are still selling um, lots of uh, items online. So you can, if you want anything, if you're going to buy stuff for somebody's birthday, um, order it and get it earlier. Um, you know, uh, just to keep that cash flow going through the club. Indeed, yeah, we should urge that message. Obviously, do not feel compelled to do uh, to get your season ticket right now if you can't afford to. We completely understand the way that the world is. Jens, that was a really good discussion. Okay, let's start talking about the football that we have seen rather than the football we may or may not see. Um, Simon, I'll come to you because obviously you've seen all 37 league games that we've played. We'll focus on the league season rather than any cups or anything. 37 games played, we won 10, drawn 5 and lost an incredible 22. How do you see the season that we've seen overall? Um, Obviously, we went into the break with one defeat in six, but how do you balance it out? Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's a a big jump up for us in the last couple of years, isn't it? But deserved jump, you know, from League Two up to the Championship. Um, we settled in, I mean, what a a start to the season with the uh, the victory, uh, sorry, the draw over Middlesbrough. Um, three all, and just incredible way to you know show the championship what Luton Town was all about. Um, and you know that could have been three points to start the season, but it wasn't. And 
that's perhaps been the story of the season when you look at it as a whole, that it's a case of it could have been on occasions, but some fantastic wins in there. Um, you know, you remember the opening victory away at Barnsley at Oakwell, you know, fantastic uh, victory up there, victory away at Blackburn, the first home win at Kenilworth Road and back in the championship against Huddersfield. Um, you know, and as you've said, we we went into the the break or the end of the season, whatever it's going to be when it comes to it, with um, with a good good run going. I mean, with the exception of the defeat at Charlton, um, as you said, three wins, two draws. And, you know, we weren't conceding, again, with the exception of the defeat at Charlton, conceding anywhere near like we had. So you were going into the last nine games more optimistic than perhaps people had been a few weeks prior to that run, albeit, you know, it's... It's the we are still five points, I think it is, from safety, and um, the goal difference and everything else makes a difference. And there's nine games though; we can still do it if we come back to this season. Um, if we don't, then I think generally you look at the 1920 season as being well. We got ourselves in the championship, and we fought well, and we picked up some really, really good victories. We put in some good performances on occasions, and didn't quite get what we deserved. And then there was one or two games that you'd very quickly want to forget. <laughs> Indeed there is, that is for sure. Um, I'll get everyone to pick their sort of favourite moments of the season uh, in a little while. But actually, James, one of the moments of the season was the one game that we've not spoken about on this podcast because it's the game that took place since we last recorded. And that was away at Wigan, where a man who's been ridiculed at times this season really stood up and was counted with one of the great saves of the season. Yeah, um, and in fact, I contributed to a, an article which you can read on Lutonian.com um, where 15 uh, writers that write about clubs in the championship have all picked their team of the season. Um, and you're only allowed to pick a maximum of two players from the team you cover. Uh, so I'd stuck Izzy Brown in there because um, the amount of assists he's put in and uh, I genuinely think he's one of the most exciting players I've seen put on a Luton shirt and then I was struggling for a goalkeeper because I just really couldn't remember anyone that had had one of those worldy games that they kept Luton out all by themselves so on the basis of Simon Sluger performing so well since he's come back off his um of being dropped and that particular save in uh, in the last knock-ins at Wigan which I just think it, it's more than my, uh, the best save I've seen this season. I think it's, more, it's the best save I've seen for quite a number of years. Um, and so I picked him and said, yeah, it's a controversial choice because he was Mr. Calamity up to the Christmas. But he's really come into his own. And, and that, that save, I, I've watched it loads of times. I still don't know how he managed to get it, uh, get it away and preserve a point. And at that stage, it it's sort of one of those moments where you think, well, maybe that could be the galvanising point or the turning point because you lose to Wigan, uh, particularly after you'd lost to Charlton. And uh, you have to say that you'd fear for the worst. But uh, after that and getting the point, it felt like a victory. Everybody you spoke to afterwards was really uh, buoyed by it. It was an awful game of football, by the way. <laughs> uh, you could really just cut cut the highlights down to that one moment and uh, and I've done with it but uh, yeah it, it, I kind of felt that things might start going Luton's way because they had been anyway we talk about that one defeat in six and then 
well, then you know what happens and we're all stuck indoors talking to each other over the internet. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about articles on uh, your website, The Lutonian. Just prior to that save, you asked me to write a column on Mr. Saluga, didn't you? And I I kind of highlighted that he could have been a, a big part to play in that running. Little did I realise he was going to make a truly world-class save a couple of days later. Um, Tony, how have you seen the season as a supporter? Obviously, when we sat uh, around the table before the season started, we were all cautiously optimistic, but I don't think any of us really took into account just how tough, relentless and uh, how, well, difficult the championship actually is. Mm, it's certainly been a massive learning curve for us. Um, and as Simon touched on earlier, the, 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 the jump in, in, in class and money available to the other teams is it, it, just tremendous. So in all honesty, I, I, I went in, um, yeah, cautiously optimistic, as you say, but not really expecting anything. Um, and I thought anything we pick up would be a bonus. Um, I think overall we've performed okay. We've looked good in some matches. We've also been appalling in others. Um, you know, I don't really want to think about Brentford in the first half an hour at QPR. Um, but we've, we have learnt and we are now looking, or we were looking far more competitive and looking like we, we can do it. And, and we can do it. The, 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 the trouble is with the, whatever they decide to do now, it's a whole different ball game. Um, and before and I was thinking, yeah, we can do it. You know, as Simon said, we're five points adrift. But with the fixtures that we had, I, I, I thought we could stay up. But again, if, if we stayed up, we'd still have the same problem next season of, uh, you know, uh, having problems with competing. But I think overall, I, I, I think... Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually pleased. They, they've given us some tremendous moments, a lot of others to forget. Um, but I'm, I'm so pleased that um, you brought up Simon Sluger because um, he, he did have a bad start, whatever reason um, behind that. But he's coming good now, and he does look a very, very good goalkeeper. That, that penalty save was exceptional. Um, so overall, on balance, I'd, I'd, I'd say I'm actually pleased. I mean, you certainly can't turn around and say it's boring or it's not entertaining. It is. And uh, I think myself, I, 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 you know, I, in, in the position of looking at it and thinking, yeah, it's great to have entertaining football. But if uh, playing an awful game, we're looking harder to beat, and we come away with a point for it, I'll, I'll, I'll settle for that. Yeah, I think, you know, we should also remember, Simon, that actually when we went to Wigan, they were something like second in the form table and just knocked off West Brom and Leeds, didn't they? So uh, a draw there was, OK, if you look at the league table, you, you can see it as maybe two points drop. But actually, the draw on that particular afternoon was a perfectly acceptable result. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, Wigan fans will have looked at it as two points dropped at home and we should look at it as a point gained away from home, really. And I just want to correct myself before people start writing in. We are actually six points adrift plus the goal difference, not the five. I was being too optimistic there. But even so, still think if we'd have played the season out um, as it stood, then we would have we would have stayed up. But um you know, yeah, the, the Wigan draw, as Tony said, it was a game that you wouldn't want to be watching back on uh, I followed very quickly because, it, you know, it was nothing much. But the save from Simon Sluger was fantastic. Um, it got the, the point that I think we deserved on the 90 minutes plus. And, and therefore, you know, you look at it, anything away from home, any positive result is a positive. Wigan, at the same time, as you said, we're on a great run. They will look at that as two points dropped. So, you know, if a home team's looking at it as points dropped, we should be looking at it as a positive that we've got a draw up there. We kept a clean sheet away from home. You know, it's, again, I talk back about Charlton aside, the three games either side, the six games in total, either side of that game, we conceded as many goals as we did at the Valley. You know, three goals in, in the other six games. So we were on really good form. Things were looking good. Sluger was performing excellently. Um, and the team was performing really well. So, yeah, the point at Wigan, yeah, they were on great form. We were on good form. Disappointing game, but I came away, you know, actually a point is probably about the right result. And I think, James, the the good thing from this season overall is how we've improved as it's gone along. I mean, if you're looking further in the future, and we've already said we don't know what the future holds, but it will hold football of some kind. The, The team, the players, let's hope it's in the championship as well. The team, the players the management staff and everyone have kind of got to grips with this division as we've gone along, got more at home in this division and looked more at place in this division as we've gone along. So if there is another season of it, in theory, we should benefit from the struggles that we've had. Well, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? You, Was that phrase they they always say, you either win or you learn. Um, You'd hope they'd come out with it a bit better. I'm sort of of the view of Tony. I think we even said this before the season started that I wasn't expecting much, and I was. We all thought that one place above relegation would have been acceptable. What that means is you're going to lose a lot of games. So when Luke were losing a lot of games and people getting the ump, I was kind of thinking, well, what did you think? What did you expect? Um, and I think some of them of a certain vintage would have expected what happened last time they came up from league one and did really well but the the landscape of football has completely changed now and whether you like it or not money talks whether you've got the money or you've sold your ground back to your owner to make the money <laughs> it's a different thing. Uh, but um yeah Luton are doing it the right way and um, it was in their means whereas uh, certain others aren't but uh, I, yeah i digress <laughs> but um, yeah and it was always going to be a struggle as we know when you sell your two best players the two fullbacks uh, Justin and Stacey that went so trying to compensate for that I think probably uh, Bolton and Bree uh, were given a, a lot longer than perhaps they should have when things weren't quite going their way you could always sense that other teams were targeting them um, and, and getting quite a lot out of them um, but then, that, but then, to be fair, James Bree, when he moved back over to his actual right position uh, instead of where he was playing on the other side, he, he did a lot better. 
but you've not seen Luke Bolton again since, so that probably speaks volumes about about that. So, you know, they've had to overcome quite a lot of obstacles, and one of the biggest ones as well is the the injuries. They had so many injuries, and uh, you know, everyone comes back to Graham Jones talking about how important Izzy Brown was, but he's proved it when he's been in the squad when he's been in the side. Um, I know the argument there for a lot of people is well, he shouldn't have said it. But um, I, I genuinely can't see that, you know, a, a defender uh, is, was going to get upset by saying that there's this wonderful talent playing up the pitch in front of them that can help win the game. So uh, some people, I guess, are more sensitive to those sorts of things. I thought it was just honesty. Um, but then, you know, whenever this next season starts or whenever this season resumes, does Izzy Brown stay? Does he play? That's another question we probably didn't touch on because you're talking about the contracted players, but the loan players, their contracts end. Um, and do they go back? I don't know. So d- d- is he around? <laughs> is he, is he, is he <laughs> around? <laughs> I would just add to that though, James, regarding Izzy Brown, you look at the last seven games that we've been talking about as being the great run. He's only started three of those and two of them were draws. So of the three yeah. wins, he's only started one. He didn't feature in the other, and he was the last used substitute in the third. So, is it all about? Is he all about Brown? Well, I mean, to be fair, his been... contribution at Middlesbrough was brilliant, wasn't it? Getting booked for some sort of WWE move in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> I think they kind of like changed their changed their style uh, a little bit within that run, and there was sort of uh, a bit more pragmatism in the games particularly uh you can look at brentford for that they beat brentford by um not letting the ball get near those front three every time they came to the fence whack it upfield and deal with it then it's not uh, total football by any stretch of the imagination but it worked so and maybe there's an element of that in there yeah no, uh, no doubt about that and um, tony Individual players, has anyone really surprised you this season in terms of making the step up abs- uh, probably better than you thought they might do? Um, that's a, that, that's a, a, a very, very uh, difficult question, um, Kev, that you've just sprung on me. Uh, <laughs> not, not five minutes ago you said, oh, I like doing this off the cuff. So I've asked yeah, you a question okay, off the cuff okay. and you don't want that to... That was a private conversation, though, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I think uh, if, you, if you mean players that, we, that were with us last season, um, I think it's been something of a baptism of fire for them. But I think Matty Pearson... Um, has, has stepped up and, and and looked really good. And I don't think he was one player that um, anybody would have thought of before the season started. Um, I think James Collins has adjusted very well, um, has held his own in most games. And, and I, I think for me, um, they're, they're the two that have, have stood out more than anybody else for me. Okay, Simon, uh, the person I was actually thinking of was Pelle Ruddock and Panzu, who um, is player of the season for many fans. Did you expect him to go as well as he's done this season? And what have your assessments of him been? I mean, Pelle's been an incredible, really, hasn't he? When you think he joined us back, what, 
six plus years ago, non-league, stains away in the FA Trophy, one man and his dog in a nil-nil draw or whatever it was, you know. Talk about dull games of football, there's the archetype yeah. case, case in it, question. You know, from from start, from starting in that game to, you know, now scoring in the, the championship, um, you know, just fantastic for Pelly. He's, he's really come on leaps and bounds over the years, um, you know, and he's got a few goals and he's been contributing this season with his bangers. Um, so, you know, it's, and he, he's such a character, isn't he, Pelly? I mean, he's, you know, whatever he brings to you on the football field, he brings just as much off it and sometimes even more um, with his personality, his dress sense and the like. And, you know, he's, he's great to have a club and it really shows, you know, players coming through from, from non-league. He took the drop, you know, he was a West Ham player when he joined us. He took a massive drop to come down, but he's worked his way back up um, as other players have done at Luton and at other clubs. Um, and he's now playing in the championship and, you know, all credit to him for... Uh, for progressing the way he has and the character that he is because um, it's great to have somebody like Pelly at the club. He is absolutely brilliant in box office, that is for sure. James, I absolutely hate this term, most improved player, because it makes it sound like the person in question was shit to begin with. But that's not actually the case with Harry Cornick. He was fine to begin with, but he is a much better player now than he was last season. I'm sure you'll agree because you mentioned that to me in the past. Well, yeah, he's a he's a regular starter now, isn't he? He was an impact player pretty much under Nathan Jones. So, um, in that regard, he's he's come on uh, leaps and bounds, and he's also playing more of a striker role, where he's a bit more of a winger out uh, out wide when he, when he did play when he did come on. Um, <laughs> and he scored more goals than he had, but he probably should have scored more, and that's the thing that um, uh, I think he knows that he said all along that he has to improve. Uh, and you, you kind of think that if he'd have notched a couple of those one-on-ones that Luton might have a few more points on the board, but I mean, it's bits and butts really, but yeah, I think uh, most improved is probably right for, for Harry, um, and uh, let's hope he keeps on that trajectory. Indeed, so, yeah. Okay then, chaps, um, it's been a pretty long seven or eight months, uh, there's been many good moments in it. I'll come to you, Simon, to give Tony time to think. Um, what's been your favourite moment of the season so far? Oh, it's so difficult to pick, Kevin. You know, one thing out of the season, just being back in the championship, you know, is was is a moment. Um, you know, celebrating victories away at the so-called bigger clubs, Blackburn and Middlesbrough is fantastic. The first win in the back in the championship against Barnsley, the first home win back at... Kenilworth Road against Huddersfield, um, the victory over Wayne Rooney and Derby County. Uh, I, I would really struggle to pinpoint one thing um, from this season that that is my moment. But um, you know, it's great just watching or b- being able to watch previously Luton back in the Championship this season. I'll leave you sat on that fence and uh, go, <laughs> to, go to James. Uh, your favourite moment of the season. Oh, it was um, all the build-up to the first game and and the noise and the, the cacophonous noise of that first game against Middlesbrough. Um, I don't know I've written about it before, but the, the chance of Luton are back just meant so much for the club and the town and the fans and everybody involved. It was just the loudest atmosphere and such a party atmosphere. 
and it got a game to to match it as well. And and um, you know, when if Sonny Bradley's going to rocket it in from uh, <laughs> from you know twenty thirty yards uh, into the top corner when he hasn't scored a goal for his entire um, Luton career up to that point, then you know you're onto something special. Um, and and you know, it gave a lot of optimism. Oh, you, you thought well, Luton could cut it and. Uh, you know, it hasn't always gone Luton's way, I suppose. But uh, as, as a as a marker, as a sort of um, milestone of of where Luton have come from, it meant it, it was so important, it meant so much, and it's kind of up there for me with that uh, uh, the League Two end of season at, at Notts County for just um, if you're not even going to talk about the football, just what happened around the football and uh, in the stands and stuff like that. It was just, yeah, um, lump in the throat, swell the chest, goosebumps stuff. Yeah, I wrote my first column on your website about the uh, magical atmosphere at Kenilworth Road, uh, which was evidenced that night. Um, Tony, you've had a bit of time. What was your favourite moment of the season so far? Um, Again, I, I agree with Simon. It is difficult because there's been quite a few um, exceptional moments. Uh, I was going to mention Sonny's first goal. I mean, that was a fantastic uh, moment for for all of us, the first goal we scored at the higher level. Um, Funny enough, one one of my favourite moments is actually the home game against Wigan. Um, Certainly for the closing stages of that game. And it's always, you know, a home game. And it was great just for George Moncur's celebrations, you know, with that, that goal, last gasp goal. So anything like that for me. But again, um, you know, beating uh, Derby um, and one of the memes that was posted afterwards, we beat them 3-2 and somebody put up the back of Rooney's shirt. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. So. Um, every year, every season, we have great nights under the floodlights. We've had a few of those this season. Um, but my, as I said, my own particular favourite is uh, uh, Moncur's winner because I think the guy is great. And his celebrations are fantastic. That for me summed it up. Yeah, it's probably my favourite moment of the season as well, actually. Uh, that and just some random things you remember, like Glenn Ray getting booked for the first time at Notts Forest, and you think, yeah, he's back now. And, my God, how have we missed him, sort of thing. Oh, just, yeah, uh, his return overall has been... Um, yeah, he's made a hell of a difference. It, it's, it has been great to see. It's it's kind of... He really just picked up where he left it off. He was so good, um, captain in the side, before he got injured. And it's just lucky that Luton also had, you know, Alan McCormick that could come in and do that job uh, last season. But he's he's gone about his work in, I guess, not an understated way because we have talked about it and how important his role has been. But just somebody to ruffle the feathers and stick the boot in and and organise as well as the way he does uh, has really been uh, good to see this season. Yeah, I mean... Go on, Tony. Well, I was going to say, I, I think Glenn deserves a special mention as well because in the time out when he was injured, he he didn't just disappear, did he? He uh, he was 
in the pub with us before the game. He was on the terraces mixing with supporters, um, you know, and he, he quite happily talked to people, have his photos taken. So special mention to him. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a good season. I, hopefully, we well, if we do get to finish it, we complete the great escape and uh, we'll be able to reflect on uh, even more positive things. But that was a good reflection on the season so far. Okay, we're going to finish off this uh, episode of the podcast by looking back on some football that you may or may not have seen in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the media department of the club are doing fantastic work replaying classic matches and um, things. And uh, there's been five of those. But before we actually get into the meat and uh, potatoes of all of those, we should really reflect on the sad news that we got earlier this week. Uh, with the sad passing of Radian Teach. Not just uh, Luton lost a great person, but the football world lost a great person. I'll come to you, Tony, because I've read a few uh, uh, attributes that you've kind of given to him. You would have been of that era that watched him in action for the town. Um, a stylish player who was involved in one of the most important moments in our history. Yeah, uh, sheer class. Um, from the moment the guy came into the team and uh, I remember his his debut uh, was a game at West Ham. Uh, they won the uh, old second division championship that season, which was the year before we did it. Um, and if I remember correctly, the game finished 2-1 to us. Yeah. And it was uh, three penalties. Uh, Ray Stewart for West Ham and David Moss scored twice for us. But you could see in that game that Reddy was just head and shoulders above the other defenders on the pitch. Um, I think the only one of our defenders at the time that could come anywhere near him in terms of the ability and, and, and his reading of situations in game was, was, was Mal Donaghy. Um, a very, very cultured player. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't get as much game time as his level of skill uh, warranted because um, mm -hmm. he'd come from Spanish football and he was typically what the uh, Italians call the libero, which is a sweeper. And uh, it would very much depend upon the tactics David Pleat was playing in a particular game. Uh, eventually, he moved forward into midfield, and again, he just looked uh, quality, unflustered player, you know, could pick a pass, use either foot, and he could head the ball as well. Uh, and he definitely added um, something to that to that team. Um, once he acclimatised and got into the side, um, and uh, I think uh, Brian Horton gave a wonderful a tribute to him as well and everything that Brian said in that tribute was was so true the guy was just sheer gentleman um, on and off the pitch but he could mix it as well on the pitch and uh, it was just a joy to, to see him in the team playing alongside Ricky Hill and he was Mr Dependable you, you, you knew that when he come on it was either to shore the game up or, or to give us an added dimension uh, in midfield. And it worked every time. In fact, actually, the only time um, it didn't, I, I remember a game uh, uh, down the road um, 
and when we lost 5-2 and Raddy actually scored in that game and he actually got sent off which was I mean yeah we're biased but it was an unjustified sending off but the game at Main Road he came into his own and it, and it you know as I said in in uh, James's uh, Lutonian um, it, looking back on it it was like it was you know one of those dramas where you know the hero enters stage left it was almost like that when he came on and he was in the right place at the right time and you could see if you you must have seen that goal um the sheer joy in his face the way he ran along the pitch and he jumped in the air and then all the players dived on top of him it was um absolutely tremendous and and uh, you know he, he if i remember rightly i think he had another year with us um, before mm-hmm. he moved on, and he finished his career with us. Um, but he'll always be remembered for that, and he will be a legend to us, and 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 not just to us. You know, the other teams that he managed as well, in particular Atletico Madrid. You know, because he he took them to the double in 1996, and it's actually fantastic that you know how many. Um, well, there's not a lot of football clubs can say that one of their ex-players went oh went on and and did the Spanish double and also managed Real in Barcelona as well. And it just shows you the measure of the man. Uh, you know, great, great player. Uh, yeah, in, indeed. Everything that I've heard about um, him as a footballer suggests that. Simon, we're kind of too young to really remember him as a footballer, but you got the opportunity to meet him at a club dinner a couple of years ago. Um, really wonderful man. And, Far be it for me to steal your statistical thunder, but I believe he's the only man in history to manage that trio of Spanish clubs Tony just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, incredible. Uh, touching on that statistic, I mean, you know, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid and Barcelona, to put that into perspective, that's probably the same as somebody managing Liverpool, Manchester City and Manchester United, isn't it? Um, mm. You know, it just doesn't happen, but he did it and all credit to him. And, yeah, I had the honour of meeting him. I mean, it was a long time. In fact, it was 2010 when I met Raddy uh, at a club dinner. I know he's been at one since, uh, back in about 18 months ago. But yeah, to meet him then and, you know, just an amazing person, um, you know, incredible achievement that he did. And he will always be remembered for that goal. But as Tony's got the memories from him, the, the type of player he was, he deserves to be remembered for so much more. But, you know... That one goal at Main Road, that has legendary status for him and, you know, an incredible finish and, and what a game that was. And you look at where the two sides are now, albeit, what, 27 years later, um, you know, 37 years later. Sorry, maths is not my strong point, is it there, really? <laughs> 37 years later, um, you know, that that is a lifetime, literally a lifetime apart. Um, and it's... It's incredible, um, you know, to relegate Manchester City and to keep Luton Town up, to say that you scored that goal, he, he is and deservedly is a Luton Town legend and, you know, thoughts with all his family and friends at this sad time because it really was, with everything else going on in the world, a real, you know, tragic and sad story to suddenly hear of the passing of Raddy. He, he was yeah, so he modest as well, wasn't he, Simon? Such a modest man as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so down to earth, so pleasant. And, you know, it's his achievements in football. He he, he was just ratty. You know, he, he just did what he did. And, you know, the success that he had off the field as a manager, um, you know, 
you look at him as a player and you look at him as a manager and he's perhaps one of those that achieved far more with his managerial status, um, you know, and really did go on to great things abroad. And, and, you know, it was interesting that when you see the reports of it, the key things were former Barcelona manager or former Real Madrid yeah. manager and an Atletico manager. And because, you know, football, when he was a manager, that was the prime. You know, it's only people, Luton Town fans and possibly Manchester City fans that remember him for, for what he did at Main Road. Just um, going on to that game, Tony, um, we should really kind of, anyone who's seen the match of the day highlights that the club put up um, will know, will already know this, but those who haven't, it was literally win or bust for Luton, wasn't it? Man City had the draw. Uh, the draw would have kept Man City up. Um, yeah, it was... Um... Going going into the game, it, it was an eventful week because uh, our last home game of the season, um, we we lost five one at home to Everton, and we'd been a, a goal up, and uh, we we all knew that Luton were going to Manchester United in the, in a midweek game, and we all knew that we wouldn't get anything at Man United. We never do, um, and we lost three nil. So it was to use a vulgar expression, it was shit or bust on the Saturday. But in between that Man United game and the the game at Main Road, um, Luton uh, actually went to Watford for Ross Jenkins' testimonial and David Pleat brought a full-strength Luton side to Vicarage Road for that game. So as a consequence, when we won on Saturday, Watford were playing at home and there, there actually was been fully reported a big cheer went round Vicarage Road that we'd won and stayed up which is hard to believe you know <laughs> we certainly wouldn't do that um, but that you know we, from my point of view go, going into the game I, I was uh, I normally am an optimistic person but um, everybody was thinking you know um, this is one of those times we're down realistically we're, we're down um, and uh, my attitude, my, I was thinking, well, we've got to make sure that we come straight back. Unfortunately, the players didn't have that attitude and they, they went out there. And when you think that it wasn't our full strength side either, um, we had no David Moss uh, playing. And uh, we, you know, Brian Steen had been out for months. Um, he, he'd been scoring goals for fun in the first division then. And he got, um, I can't remember what game he got, he got injured, but he'd been out for months and he had a, 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 an injection in his foot and came on and played and played very well. Um, and then again, I, I, I actually, I'm surprised that Raddy didn't start that game. Uh, Wayne Turner did. Um, but we went out there and if you look at that game on, 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 on match of the day, it's uh, the way it was edited it shows far more of Manchester City uh, attacking when, for a lot of the game, it was mainly Luton that were doing all the attacking, trying to score. And it was one of those games where the whole game went by so quickly. You, you know when you're up against it and, and the odds are against you, um, all Manchester City needed was a nil-nil draw. And, you know, the time goes by so quickly. We score, everybody's going mad. And then the remaining four minutes, the longest four minutes of your life, you know? Um, 
but we did it and uh, that whole result set up um, the next 10 years for us in the top flight and without that win there'd have been no FA Cup semi-finals there'd have been no League Cup win or returning to Wembley at the end of it Um, you know there'd have been no seventh place finished in in, in the old first division Um, so Again, this just shows you how much we owe to Raddy, really. And, you know, the, the, the scene of David Pleat skipping and dancing across the pitch, to me, that shows you how much stress, pressure, and tension must have been on that guy to to, to celebrate like that. And, uh, yeah, you, you know, I, I, I did feel for the Manchester City fans because... Um, you know, a, a club that had been in the top flight for as long as that, albeit hanging on for grim death, you knew that the size of club, they would come back. They would come back. But, you know, it's the old thing, even at that time, if if we'd have gone down, you know, because of our players that had, had played so well in the first division, um, you know Ricky Hill. Bids would have come in for Ricky Hill, for Brian Steen, for Paul Walsh, Paul Elliott. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Mal Donaghy was another one. And you know that um, our, our future would have been a lot, a lot different, you know. And yeah, that is for sure. It, 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 it certainly was a great time to be a, a, a Luton supporter and to go along and, and to see us compete at that level. I mean, I, I think uh, looking at it, if we'd have gone down there, we certainly wouldn't have... Uh, we probably wouldn't have ended up with Mick Harford joining us either. No, there's a lot of um, a lot of follow-on from that goal, and um, we echo the sentiments that Simon uh, mentioned just then about our thoughts being with his friends and family. At what's been a tough week. Um, we're going to attack these classic matches in chronological order. So Simon, we'll move on six years to one of the, well, what's got to be one of the most entertaining games of football Kenilworth Road has ever seen, surely. Um, there's not many 11-goal thrillers in football, full stop, but there was one in February of 1988 when we beat Oxford. We seem to have the hex on Oxford that season, um, none more so that afternoon. I mean, that's just an incredible game, isn't it? I mean, a, a, as you said, an 11-goal thriller, hat-trick for Mark Steen, a 7-4 victory. I mean, just incredible. Um, you know, Nick Arthur, Darren McDonough, Brian Steen amongst the goals as well. It, it just absolutely, you know, you don't see score lines like that. You know, it's it's a nightmare for defenders. It's great for forwards. It's great for football that one of those comes along. But, you know, I think it's going to be a long time before we see a 7-4 in a league game, um, you know, again. And it's just fantastic and great that the footage is out there that we were able to share and uh, fans could enjoy. Because, again, you know, we talked about generations earlier and, for a lot of supporters, they'll go seven four against Oxford. Didn't know about that, you know. And great that they can see it and view it. And you know, I should give a mention actually at the moment for Hatters Heritage um, and all the work they're doing to preserve things like that. Um, that those videos and they are videos because I know because I've got it um, that exist um, to be able to remind us of these games. And it's the same as in years to come when fans will be talking about. You know, the 8-0 against Hayes and Yedding at Kenilworth Road in the conference years. Well, if the footage isn't kept in years to come, that's going to that's gonna go. So, um, you know, it's great to be involved with Hatter's Heritage. And 
It's great that the club are giving us a game every Saturday and every midweek, a classic game that you may or may not have seen or you, you know you want to see again and enjoy as the, the Johnson's Paint Trophy is coming up uh, uh, this weekend as we, we record this podcast on Good Friday. And, and I know there's plenty more cracking uh, matches and season reviews to, to come as well from the club. What is it about Luton and Oxford that always seems to provide entertainment? Because um, that season, we'd already beaten them 5-2 at the Manor Ground, as was then. Obviously, they'd not moved to the Kassam Stadium by then. And then later that season, we then went and beat them in the Littlewoods Cup semi-final. And of course, since then, two more magical moments against Oxford. Probably the one that launched you into Luton fans' um, sort of spotlight in the in the conference that time. And of course, last season, we won the League One title against them as well. There seems to be something about Oxford that brings out the best in Luton's history, really. Yeah, it doesn't matter what league we're in, does it? Uh, we, we seem to be able to beat them no matter where. And it's interesting, actually, I read a stat the other day that somebody queried with me as to whether it's tr- true that it's the only fixture in the top five divisions. So the four football league and the conference, um, it's the only fixture that's happened in all five levels. Luton-Oxford. Tony, your uh, memories of that one? Yeah, uh, you mentioned uh, we played we played them four times that season, and and we put sixteen goals past them in total. I think we beat them five uh, two at the Old Manor Ground, but that that game was just the seven four was just unbelievable. I mean, you you look at it, how many times do a team go away from home, score four goals, and still end up losing? <laughs> just just unbelievable but it, it was like you know um it took a while for the scoring to be open and if i remember um it, it was three two at half time i think and you're thinking oh my god what, what's the second half going to be like but it was just like every time the ball went forward you thought i decide we're going to score both teams went at it for hammer and tongs and it was a really entertaining exciting match to watch um but and I, I'm glad for, for Mark Steen scoring a hat-trick there. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, it was just an absolutely incredible game of football. A very much a highlight of a year that, well, we all uh, we all remember with such pride. Uh, just to um, mention, I, it's not that I'm ignoring James. He is still here, but he can't <laughs> remember what happened half an hour ago, let alone 30 years ago. So... Uh, <laughs> We'll, we'll come round to him um, as we get closer to uh, the modern day kind of games. But the next one was one of my favourite moments, actually. Uh, and I'll go back to Simon for this one. Uh, the FA Cup quarterfinal win against West Ham in 1994. We already knew, didn't we, because this was a replay. We already knew that Chelsea at Wembley was the reward for the winners. And Scott Oates wrote himself into Luton folklore that night. Incredible. I mean, absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, what a game at Kenilworth Road. Scott Oaks against top flight side, a hat trick. Um, you know, just one of those games end to end. One team in the lead, then a leveller. And, you know, brilliant under the floodlights at Kenilworth Road. Um, my dad will keep reminding me that I wasn't there that night and he was um, <laughs> because I was away on a, a university open day stroke evening. Um, preparing for university so I couldn't be there and I was absolutely gutted um managed to see it see the, the winning goal though in a pub um so you know I celebrated as I do but 
you know, it, that is just an incredible fixture. Um, and Scott Oaks, I know, has been talking about it in, in the press recently. And, you know, it's just that that was just a cracking game of football, um, as many are under the floodlights at Kenilworth Road. And, uh, you know, as you say, they knew then that it was a semi-final at Wembley was the prize after what had been a, a cracking nil-nil draw at um, Upton Park um, prior to that that victory. Yeah, that replay really was a fantastic night at Kenilworth Road. And of course, it came in a season where we'd already knocked off Newcastle uh, earlier in the competition. I should also mention we were in the division that we are now and West Ham were in what is now the Premier League um, that season. So we were a division below them. Tony, who was to know then, 26 years ago, that there was actually going to be some kind of link to that game and the modern day in that the man who gifted us the, what turned out to be the winning goal was our current left-back's father. I know, it's uh, it's unreal, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the, the link that's there. And it, it's, uh, it doesn't have to make you feel old, I tell you. Um, but no, you, you, Simon's absolutely right. And he... It was it was a highly entertaining game. It had everything, didn't it? It close ding dong battle end to end, you know, Luton dominating a bit, West Ham dominating a bit, and two controversial goals as well. You know, two goals that could quite easily have been given offside. You know, and and it, it's funny, you know, when when you look back on these games, um, you know, even the older ones or, or this one, and at the time and. People will probably do this in years to come about our players at the moment. You look at it and you and you don't appreciate those players at the time. It's only when they've gone and you look back on games now, you think you can see just how good these players actually were. You know, and, and uh, it, it, it's actually great to have this opportunity to look at these games again. And, and I hope the club keep doing it, even when things get back to some sort of normality. I hope they keep showing classic matches because I, I, I think it's great. Because it, as Simon said, it, it, it's so easy to forget those things. And then when you look at it and you see, my God, that game, I, I remember I, I, I was at that game and, you know, I was here and I remember this happening and I remember that happening. And, you know, you, you, and you, it gets you thinking. You, you, you look at people that you knew that you went to the game with and you, uh, we stood on the terraces with at the time. And you, you sort of think, these people are gone now. And, you know, it takes something like this to, to bring these back to you. And I think all around it, it, it's fantastic. It certainly is, yeah. Sadly, Gavin Peacock put paid to our dreams of winning the FA Cup at Wembley uh, the following month. But what a night that was. One of the things, actually, Hartson. that... You have played Hartson. Yeah. <laughs> um, instead of Kerry Dixon, of course. One of the... Um, one of the things about seeing these classic games is the dugouts are down the main, main stand side. More recently, yeah. Luton fans, new Luton fans, won't actually be aware of that, will they? But um, no. that was the case. Now, if you're a, a Luton fan of a certain era, when you mention Luton v Watford, you'll probably go back to the 80s, and, and that's absolutely fine. But for those of us more recent than that, myself and Simon uh, in particular, it will be September the 10th, 2002, which will be locked in your mind because... Of one wonder goal, Simon. Yeah, Matty Spring, Vicarage Road, um, incredible night. You know, Steve Howard had getting the second. You know, I think they were league above us at the time. Yeah, they yeah. were, Simon. They were. Yeah, incredible. 
Um, you know, we we done them two one um, and progressed in the League Cup. Just a fantastic, fantastic result against uh, our, our rivals. And um, yeah, <laughs> what more can you say? You beat your rivals away from home in a cup competition, and Springy scores a banger, as Pelly would say. Wasn't it a banger? I mean, I was in the stands that night, and I mean, even now, I remember thinking, "Don't, don't, no, actually, do shoot." shoot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just no one wants him to shoot from that far out. But when he un- when he unleashed that into the top corner, there was pandemonium behind that behind but the opposite pole. He night. had it in him, didn't he, Springy? I mean, he he did it. At, um, was it Fulham in the FA Cup and somebody at home as well? He, he he's hit him from range. Um, and found the back of the net as he did that night and you know just a fantastic strike it's one of those you hit it clean keeper's got no chance you hit it wrong and Rosette's got no chance mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. disappointed that um, when they showed the the match they didn't show the pre-match entertainment <laughs> yeah I mean it was it was an atmosphere that was sizzling right from the off wasn't it and I think yeah. Uh, unfortunately, they had to cancel the. Did they have a planned minute of silence? Didn't they for the anniversary of September the 11th? And well, that, yeah. that was a stupid idea because they were never going to get a minute of silence on that particular night. Um, Spring actually had a hand in the second goal. Tony slipping the ball yeah. through to Steve Howard. That was actually a great Luton side, wasn't it? That Joe Kinnear put was together. Later that season, we um, got the introduction of Jean Louis Valois, didn't we? But he hadn't arrived at that stage. But the side that went out that night, you know, you had Steve Howard, uh, Kevin Nichols, yeah. uh, Matthew Spring obviously scored. Dean Crow was alongside Howard up front. Carl Griffiths must have been injured. It was a good side, wasn't it? Yeah, you had Russell Perrett at the back as well. Emerson in goal. I'm trying to remember who else was in that team. I can't. Dole Davis was at left back, wasn't Dole he? Davis, Emerson Boyce, yeah. I think, no. was right back. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it's all coming back now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it, so it, it was, was a uh, cracking night, and and the thing about it, where you know you, when when Spring took that shot, you, you knew it was going in, you knew it was going in, and then the second goal was um, was great because the, the the Steve Howard's run to get in there and Spring saw him, and and it was great because I mean Howard wasn't exactly the quickest, was he? But he he left Sean Dyche for dead and, and just buried it, and you know. The, the looks on their faces, they were absolutely stunned. <laughs> and there was no way, you look back at it, you think, there was no way that they, they were going to lose that game. You know, and, and I believe that Joe uh, Kinnear used the, um, the pre-match shenanigans to, uh, to wind them up in the dressing room before the game. It certainly worked. It was truly one of the great nights, that is for sure. James, I hope you've not fallen asleep because I can finally come to you for a game that you might remember. As Simon alluded to, this weekend we're going to watch the Johnston Paint Trophy final. You was at that game. I'm almost scared to ask you what your memories were, (laughs) given how bad your memory is, but give me some, please. Is he awake? Is he awake, Kev? He's just awake, yeah. I was there. It was a very long day. Um, and I have watched the extended highlights of it. And I have to say some of it, I'm like, I don't remember that happening. <laughs> because I remember the goals and how good they were. And I remember thinking, Luke, we're going to win it. And then McCann scores a banger, top corner. And usually when that happens, you think, well, that's it. Because Luton was uh, 
the, the team that scores is in the ascendancy and they go into the extra time and, and they do it. But then for Claude to score that goal um, and the scenes afterwards were, were astonishing. Um, but I kind of remember more about the next, uh, was it the next day or whenever the, whenever the parade was through the town and how busy it was. And it was another one of those uh, uh, defiant moments because everybody knew what was coming. It was a bit of respite and light relief to have done it and stuck a couple of fingers up at the FA. And I still maintain Luton should have been able to defend that cup, but um, it, it wasn't to be, and they weren't allowed. But uh, yeah, we, from, from that, like, I just got, got, kind of remember the, the, a week of elation and then the week or whatever it was, 10 days later, it's the worst, uh, the worst moment of um, football watching career, I think. Yeah, the following weekend, wasn't it? Um, Simon, we should just set the scene then for that game. Obviously, those fans that are too young to remember or know, the club had been put into a minus 30 deficit to start the league season. So we were basically relegated before the season begun. So this cup was really the only solace that we could get out of that season. We'd beaten some decent sides. I remember we'd beaten Brentford on penalties, hadn't we, along the way. Brighton on penalties in the semi-final. And... Um, got our day out against Scunthorpe who were again seems to be a theme that we're playing against a team in a higher division uh, than us um, they took the lead didn't they through Gary Hooper but we came flying back a wonderful goal from Chris Martin which involved four or five Luton players really really good goal Wembley may still not have seen a goal as good as that actually and um, Tom Craddock put us into the lead and then the, the sort of times that, that James has mentioned just then yeah, I mean, it was an incredible day out. And as you say, Scunthorpe were a league above us. Um, another underdog victory for Luton Town. Um, you know, Claude Napka, again, another um, player scoring a goal that will always be remembered. If you give a name of a player, there's certain goals that you remember. And with Claude, it's certainly that one. Um, it, you know, a fantastic day out for Luton fans. 40-odd thousand. Biggest Wembley had seen at that time from one club. And uh, yeah, it was it was a real it's a cracking game. I mean, we've spoiled it now for those that didn't know what happened, really, haven't we? The younger generation, you know. But watch it tomorrow, you know. Watch it. I don't know when this podcast is going out, but if you've not watched it, it'll be on YouTube. The club will leave it there. Uh, spoiler alert: Luton win the cup. Uh, injury to extra time winner from Claude. Um, but wow, what an emotional game that is! And um, yeah, as you say. The 30 points that season was the big factor in uh, 2008-09. But boy, did we celebrate that victory at uh, Wembley. And, you know, congratulations to Scunthorpe, who then went on and won the playoffs, didn't they, after uh, their, uh, their outing at Wembley where they lost to us. Scunthorpe liked that game so much uh, where, they, where Luton beat them that they've got pictures of it on outside their ground, on the side of the hoardings around the ground. Last time we went up there in League One, I was quite surprised to see it. it. Must have been not the best day for them, but they've got pictures of it up there. And we should just mention Tony. Um, until last season, it was the highlight of Mick Arthur's management career at Luton. Obviously, he's thankfully claimed his redemption for, um, or, or his own personal redemption. I don't think any of us held him responsible. Um, but the scenes after the final whistle, where he was doing the Eric Morecambe jig and um, the when he paraded the cup up at this stand at Wembley and Marwini was behind him, wasn't it? These were iconic moments in a tough oh, season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was wonderful for Mick. Um, you know, he, he'd been such a, a great player for us. 
and to come back and have that um, at Wembley was 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 absolutely fantastic, and it it was certainly uh, something that the club badly needed at the time. It was a great day, um, a highly enjoyable day in the Green Man beforehand, and then uh, at Wembley itself. But the uh, the highlight of the day for me was the wonderful reception that Marwini got be- before the game. You know, uh, was absolutely amazing, totally deserved by the man. Um, but no, um, you talk to Mick. Mick will turn around to you and say um, that was that was for the fans, considering you know what we we went through. Um, I I look at the game again. You you will see probably one of the best on field performances. Um, from Kevin Nichols, he was immense on the day, absolutely immense on the day. Um, closely followed by Keith Keane, to be fair. Um, and the one thing I want to point out is that it was gutting when Scunthorpe equalised in the last minute of normal time. But you've got to say that was a cracking goal from McCann, wasn't it? Absolutely cracking goal. But um, it worked out well in the end. It's highly enjoyable. You know, watch it again, you know, for uh, incidents during the game, some good goals. Um, Tom Craddock getting away with not being sent off. Um, and uh, in the end, actually, you look at it, 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 it all worked out really well for Mick, hasn't it, with his redemption last season, as you you mentioned it. His word, not ours. Um, you know, I, I, I never thought that Mick had ever let us down or, or done anything to warrant feeling like that. I mean, that whole season, everything was stacked against us. Mick really had his hands tied behind his back. He did his best at the time with the restrictions he had in place. And you couldn't ask anything more from the guy. And he gave us, you know, him and the lads gave us a tremendous day out. And it's something that we'll always remember. Yeah, we will indeed. And crazy that it was 11 years ago uh, last week. Um, we'll finish off this podcast by, uh, well, reflecting on classic games that we'd like to see again. Um, as we've alluded to all podcasts, we're probably going to have a few weeks indoors to watch back on um, previous games. Now, I'm almost scared to ask you this, James, uh, <laughs> knowing, knowing your memory and uh, your angst for watching um, old football matches. But is there a, a Luton game? of the past that you would love to see again? I'd like to see my first ever one as a kid, but I can't tell you anything about it except it was against Liverpool. And um, it was, and I know what the kit was like, so I can sort of pinpoint it to maybe a couple of seasons. But um, Well, if Stuart can't game. get what game it is from here, then I mean, he <laughs> needs to up his game, doesn't he? It was, uh, it was the kit, uh, the Vauxhall kit, the Vauxhall sponsor and uh, Ian Dowie and all, all that crowd. But uh, I don't really remember much of it because I've never been to Kenilworth Road before. So it was more about the atmosphere of it. Um, but if you're talking about games that I'd love to see again, uh, and ones in very recent memory, I would. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't do this, as you've alluded to before. I, I can't recall the time where I've ever actually been to a live game and then watched the whole thing back again. I don't know what it is. I think it's something about um 
you know the drama and the atmosphere of the day that I love but watching it back it, it feels like I know the ending and, and you do obviously but I, w- I, I would probably or sit not down. given your memory well, exactly <laughs> but I, I would I would sit down to watch um, the 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 Pompey game um, in in League One when George Monker got the winner because it had so much the first half was was the best football I've ever reported on from Luton. It was unbelievable dominant football and how they only went in one nil up was beyond me. It was but but to to watch as a spectacle the way they played that first half was wonderful. And then the drama of the second half, how how Pompey came back into it and probably should have scored through Omar Bobo uh, to go ahead. Um and then it was all set up for that free kick and that knee slide wasn't it and it really was the moment where you kind of thought it's on here for Luton and Luton could, Luton could go up here and it proved proved the case but uh, uh, I, I love that game so much that I usually give a little uh, Twitter emoji report at half time and full time and half time was just a list of all the players and uh, hearts with eyes next door to them because it was just brilliant football yeah, it really was. And actually, if you've got an iFollow account, you can watch that game. Um, if you go into matches and results, then there is a full full uh, replay of that. And it's actually worth watching on iFollow because then you get the wonderful commentary of Simon, who had Harry Cornick alongside him that night. I did indeed, Kevin. And that, that was a fantastic night. You know, as James said, the game itself, end-to-end, the the last minute winner from Monka. Monks is a cracking player. I love him to bits. His celebrations, as we alluded to earlier on tonight, are just fantastic. But what a free kick. And to have Harry alongside me. And, you know, he was an absolute pro. He's, he's got a long time on the pitch uh, still to go, young player. But, you know, when he finishes his career, he, he has so got it ready for uh, the, the, the potential for broadcasting because he was just an absolute natural um, really gave great insight as a co-commentator and I was absolutely thrilled to have him alongside me and a, a fantastic, fantastic game to commentate on and one certainly I've watched back a few times and will no doubt do so again. Indeed. i just come back to you, James. Is there a non-Luton game that you've got that you'd like to see again? Can we have any game ever? Any game ever. Um, uh, yeah, so I and we're not allowed to have cup finals is that but that was the stipulation wasn't it can i that's right yeah just confirm that to, the, to the watching or listening public yeah we can't have cup finals so i think i would probably go for um the champions league semi-final against barcelona liverpool versus barcelona because of um they'd gone three nil up barcelona gone three nil up at the new camp and that really should have been that uh considering they had in their squad uh, obviously Messi and Suarez and uh, Coutinho I think was knocking around at that point there, was, there should have really been no way that Liverpool got through that so uh, that game at Anfield uh, was was some watch on the telly and I, I'd, rather than watch it again live I'd like to can you somehow magically transport me back in time so I can actually be there and just experience it that'd be quite good it would indeed yeah it was, uh, there was actually a club dinner um, that night um, celebrating the uh, end of season and I remember um, the scores coming through on my phone and I was like someone's taking the proverbial um, to me but that wasn't the case if you've not actually gauged 
how far back James's memory goes. The fact that he picked <laughs> two games from last season probably <laughs> highlights uh, highlights just where we are. Um, Simon, I'm going to come to you for the same two questions: a Luton game and a non-Luton game that you'd love to see from the past. Well, Again, the Luton game. Finals. I thought I thought I'd gone in with something new, but James stole my thunder by saying his first ever game. Um, albeit he doesn't remember it, I do remember. <laughs> The, the details are mine. Um, so I'll take you back to Sunday, the 18th of December, 1983. Uh, it was a 2-0 victory over West Brom. Mr. Seeley, Stevens, Thomas, Horton, Paul Elliott, Donaghy Hill, Brian Steen, Paul Walsh, Trevor Ayler and Ray Daniel uh, were the starting 11 for the Hatters as they beat West Brom, courtesy of Horton's penalty and Trevor Aylott's goal in front of a crowd of 11,500 at Kenilworth Road. And then uh, Martin Yole, who later became Spurs manager, was sent off in that game. Um, that was my first ever game watching Luton Town. And I would just love to, to see that again because, uh, you know, as a young boy, yes, I remember the, the excitement and everything that went with it. But I can't recall the game itself as far as what I watched. So, yeah, just being able to watch my first ever game because that feeling watching Luton Town for the first time, uh, that just stays with you no matter how old you are. So that that's my Luton Town game. And, and that's a personal one. You know, West Brom, December 83. And a non-Luton game? Well, the non-Luton game, you see, I forgot the bit about the it couldn't be a cup final. So I was going to go with the obvious and say England, Germany in 66. Um, but throwing that aside, um, I think for a non-Luton game, I guess, and I'm going to have the potential of being able to do so, would probably be one of the games from Euro 96 um, because I missed both the Scotland game and the Spain game for different reasons. Um, so... One of those two, I mean, Gaza's goal I've seen back against Scotland um, and then the Spain game that I think went to extra time and penalties, didn't it? So I think Euro 96, ITV, God bless them, uh, are, are going to be showing all those games again so I can enjoy Euro 96. I think, you know, that that's possibly the one for me. I couldn't pick another club team. I, James, I'm, I'm disappointed. You picked another club side. No, it's wrong. It's well, wrong. My, totally my wrong. My other choice was going to be the England for Holland one game in that Euro 96 because that was, I think, the best yeah. football England have played that I've ever seen. Um, bizarrely, uh, I do actually know where I was when David Seaman saved that penalty from Gary McAllister. Uh, so I can't remember games, <laughs> I can't remember my first game, but I, I was driving around the Telford Way roundabout. I was a passenger. My mum was driving, and when Seaman scored, it she had, it was a hot day, and she had the sunroof open, and I was out the top of the sunroof <laughs> cheering as it went, as you were driving around the around the roundabout. So uh, bizarre how my memory works. Uh, that was a that was a great day that England Scotland air day. That is definitely one well worth um, watching. You know again. what? Though? Probably more than the Spain game for a nil nil draw. Uh, apart from the Spain goal that was. Uh, well, it shouldn't have been disallowed, but was, thankfully. There wasn't too much to report in that game, but I won't spoil it anymore for you. Good selections there. Good selections from James. And Tony, we'll come to you for a Luton game that you'd like to see again and a non-Luton game. I'll give you the non-Luton game first, Kev. Yeah. Um, now, I'd forgotten about the stipulations on, on cup finals. 
because the one game I would love to see again is the 1970 World Cup final between uh, Brazil and Italy, which uh, Brazil won 4-1. Um, I can remember watching it as a 12-year-old boy, and um, I don't think I've ever seen a team that could play football like that Brazil side could. They were absolutely unbelievable. But the actual one, and I know I'm going to get, I'm not going to get a lot of. Um, well, I might upset some of you with this one, but uh, for me, one game I'd like to see again is going back to the European Championships 1988. England nil, Republic of Ireland won. (laughs) 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 Purely, uh, um, all my family are are Irish, both sides of my family. My parents come over. um, My dad came over to get a job at at Vauxhall in Luton. And uh, I'd just been brought up that way. You know, I, I, at the end of the day, I'm not that bothered really about international football. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, even though I've been born here, I was born here because of my upbringing, my mum, and that. I, 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 I'm an Ireland fan when it comes down to it. Luton game. Luton games. Oh, yeah, moving God. swiftly on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there, there's actually so so many. There's the the game at Hillsborough, um, Sheffield Wednesday nil, Luton five when McDonald scored a hat trick and Givens got two. Um, there's a home game from '74, uh, Luton three, Orient one where Jimmy Husband scored a hat trick. Um, but one one game um, I desperately love to see again. I, I was thinking maybe Luton seven, Shilton one. But um, it was Boxing Day, I believe, 1979 at Kenilworth Road. And uh, the pitch was like an ice rink. And uh, we were at home to Chelsea on that day. And it was a 3-3 draw. It was an absolutely fantastic game of football, end-to-end. Players not being able to keep their foot in. Um, I believe Chelsea had a player sent off. and, And also we had to goals disallowed uh, but that that would be my choice just purely for terms of um, entertainment um, uh, uh, David Pleat's embryo promotion winning team and and a reasonable Chelsea side as well so that, that's the one I'm going to go for Fair enough uh, I know that the club are going to show the Norwich FA Cup game so I won't say that as as my pick I'll go back to that Joe Kinnear side and um, I haven't researched the date like Simon, but I'm pretty sure it was October of 2002, Jean-Louis Valois' debut. You will never see a better debut in a Luton shirt than that. And he rounded it off with a goal of unbelievable proportions past our current goalkeeping uh, head honcho, Kevin Dearden. Not seen that debut against Torquay United. Hopefully you do get to see it again. It was just a majestic debut from, well, a mercurial footballer, wasn't he? He certainly was, but it was 2001. <laughs> what's, a, what's a year between friends? Eh? <laughs> he wasn't as good as Grime French. <laughs> All right, but apart from that, it was good. That's fine. <laughs> no, it was a cracking goal, and um, I don't think um, 
I'm yet to find the full match in the archives for that. I have got the goals. Um, and yeah, he was, he literally was going to be the man of the match until Carl Griffiths scored his, his header for the hat-trick. And then like, well, in, in a win of 5-1, it was, how can you not give it to a guy that scored a hat-trick? But Valois easily could have won it that day. Um, just with one goal and assist and the way he played. But, uh, yeah, incredible, credible strike. And then he followed it up at Leighton Orient midweek afterwards um, with his right foot, not his left, um, you know, in, in that 3-1 victory. But he was an amazing talent uh, under Joe Kinnear, was uh, Jean-Louis Valois. He was brilliant. He'd literally turned up. No one had ever heard of the bloke. And mm. bang, now you've heard of me. And uh, the non-Luton game that I'd love to see again, um, because I didn't see it on the day. Well, I did see it, but I was in a pub miles away from the TV screen because Luton had played at Exeter that day. It's uh, Germany 1, England 5. One of the best days as, a, as an England fan. Uh, obviously, the guys have just mentioned the England-Scotland game in Euro 96. That was brilliant. But, you know, there was a lot of pressure on Sven Joran Eriksson to get us to the World Cup in 2002 and it was do or die against Germany. And Well, we never do well against the Germans, do we? But, we certainly did that night. That was um, that was pure football from Sven's side. I'd love to see that again. The trouble with that game is the Germans used that game to completely rebuild their entire national system and then they went on and won the, the World Cup uh, a few years later, didn't they? So, <laughs> they did, but the fact that it took us beating them in their own backyard like that, that's... Um, you know, that's that's decent enough for me. It's It's, a, it's another game well worth watching. Right, that is it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank the three guys for joining me in their homes uh, this evening. And before we go, we're going to reiterate that message that we mentioned earlier of thanking the NHS staff, the key workers and everyone else doing a fantastic job up and down the country. Uh, as Simon is, is doing in his video, uh, we clap you all as we do every Thursday night and we'll continue to do right the way through. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We'll try and get a few more out. Um, between now and football resuming uh, but until then gents stay safe stay inside and um, we'll see you all soon yeah you will do cheers cheers guys cheers <laughs>